and welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection where faith and reason meet. I'm Doug Keck, kind of the gatekeeper here on this program as we explore Father Spitzer's Universe each week. Thanks to your questions, Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com, Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com. Make sure that's where you send your uh, emails for questions. Check out our website, and of course, Father Spitzer's website, Magic Center, of course, Credible Catholic, Purposeful Universe as well, depending on what you're looking for. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on EW10's On Demand page and on our YouTube channel, so if you miss anything, check it out. But we've got so many other titles there. We've added so many new ones, especially for Lent. We've got The Man of the Shroud, uh, which is a wonderful program. You can check that out as well. Of course, sometimes I think Father Spitzer is a little bit of the man of the shroud. He likes to talk about the shroud. And of course, we've got <laughs> yeah. How the Devil Works from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through our catalog. Please, you should have it already. If you don't, you definitely should order it for Lent. And the book of the month, You Shall Stand Firm. Okay, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy, a very powerful book by Father William Casey, who's a powerful speaker who, like Father Spitzer, stands up for the truth. Great to see you again, Father Spitzer. It's great to be with you, Doug. It would be good if you could uh, kick everything off with a prayer. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the blessings you give us, the blessings of this country, and of course, our church that your son has given us. We ask you to um, please bless these people in Ukraine, uh, bring a speedy end to this conflict, and please also bless us in our Lenten observances so that the practices, the penances that we try to practice will bring us closer to you. Please send your spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your church, your people, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for pray us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And of course, uh, coming up on the 25th, we of course have uh, the Holy Father uh, with a special event at 3 p.m. Eastern Time in St. Peter's with the consecration of Russia and Ukraine. That's coming up to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. People can watch that on EWTN. Uh, don't miss that. And speaking of Lent, uh, Bill Donahue uh, put out a uh, document from the Catholic League uh, where he talked about the radical nature of Lent. And he mentions, in a society marked by self-absorption, nothing could be more extreme than self-denial. He goes on to talk about two people a lot of us growing up learned a lot about, Abraham Maslow, uh, mm -hmm. You know, his hierarchy of needs where of self-actualization mm -hmm. and his comment is it kind of uh, that we owe it to ourselves to be self-fulfilled, so much so that people like uh, Christopher Lash called it the culture of narcissism and Tom Wolfe called it the me society. Then he goes on to talk about another person <laughs> who I'm sure you're from, quite familiar with, Carl Rogers, uh, yep. of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, another humanist psychologist at the time wrote that self-actualization means we're all arbiters of our own truth. Sound familiar? And only by yeah. acting on our feelings can we be truly human. Boy, we heard a lot about that. He argued yeah. that rebellion against traditional moral norms are found in Christianity was good for the individual and society. You, you got to rebel against them so you can be all you can be as a human being. Yep, I think those are two uh, of course, Maslow is much more uh, 
um, benign mm -hmm. than uh, Matt, uh, than Carl uh, uh, Rogers. Right. But uh, with respect to Maslow, um, you know, he does have a need hierarchy, and there is some validity um, as far as it goes. But uh, uh, that final stage of self-actualization does have um, an ego focus. It does have. Uh, an interior focus which is very unfortunate because of course our complete actualization can only happen uh, through God. I mean what is it that we want most? What is it we've been created for in our eternal souls? Perfect truth, perfect love, perfect goodness, perfect beauty, and perfect uh, being or home. Now if you're going to do that uh, you're not going to get it from yourself. I mean you can't actualize yourself by yourself. You're going to have to be actualized by God, who is the one being who is perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and being. Mm -hmm. So that's the, uh, the first uh, difficulty is you can never really get there, and you can't confuse self-actualization with peak and daring experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, self-actualization really is a state of perfection in love that can open itself up to the love of God. It's a state of perfection in truth which can open itself up to the truth of God, etc. So it is a real change, transformation, and you know, development of our soul, of our being, of our orientation in truth, love, goodness, beauty, and being, which in that case uh, opens us up to the reality of God, who is the one being alone who can fulfill us. Uh, St. Augustine was much more correct than uh, poor Maslow was mm -hmm. in this regard when he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. But the beginning of that was, for you has, have made us for yourself. He's talking to God. Mm -hmm. And our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Now the Carl Rogers deal, mm -hmm. uh, that is a very unfortunate deal. And he did have some effects on some of the sisters in the yeah, church, we'll, some right. priest groups Mac in the church. Heart sisters out in California. Oh yes, he, right. yeah he did. And unfortunately, it, it was just horrible, but uh, rebelling against moral norms is not a good thing, especially when you're doing it on the basis of your feelings. Your moral norms don't just come from conscience. They come from, as it were, in our Catholic belief, mm -hmm. the, the command of God, the will of God, so that the minute we're rebelling against the, you know, our conscience and rebelling against Christian moral norms, we're rebelling against God. So that the first thing is, is you know, the the way to emotional health, and I can prove this and try try to prove it in my book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. What I show is, if you rebel against those major moral norms of the Catholic Church, uh, you will not only find yourself rebelling against God, uh, it, but you're going to try and make your feelings triumph above your mind, triumph above your conscience, and feelings are transitory. They'll never triumph above knowledge. They'll never triumph above eternal truths, eternal verities. They'll never triumph uh, above your conscience, and they'll certainly never triumph above God. I mean, it's just uh, so totally mm -hmm. wrong that uh, it's, it's not just upside down, it's so upside down as burying uh, itself into the sand. So that's the first thing we got to recognize is uh, feelings can never be put into a position of priority. Uh, they're, they're just uh, transitory states and we ought to be in control of our feelings as Plato said a long time ago. Not our feelings being in control of our knowledge, our mind and our soul. Are you kidding me? Even Plato would have said 
parachute on that one. Mm -hmm. So that the the second uh, you know that's a second problem uh, with Rogers. A, a third problem that Rogers has, and where you know of course the the rebellion comes, is he thought that by playing to our feelings, in the end run we would be in, in the end uh, we would be happier. But we're mm -hmm. not today. The evidence from study after study after study shows that if you like pick one anyone I don't care if it's pornography I don't care whether it's gay lifestyle I don't care whether it's um, you know uh, uh, being promiscuous uh, heterosexually uh, you pick one of, of these things and what do you see what you see is the more you do it the more depressed and anxious you become the more divorced you do become from religion. And remember, religious affiliation is directly correlated with emotional health. And emotional health is directly correlated with relational health and with spiritual health. So all I can tell you is, you, you know, if you uh, uh, basically, um, uh, you know, start following Rogerian advice, mm -hmm. you're going to wind up being far more depressed in the long run, far more anxious, filled with far more familial tensions, filled with far more suicidal ideation, far more unanchored, far more feelings of meaninglessness and malaise. And this is statistically proven. Mm -hmm. So uh, all I can tell you is uh, this was a, a horrible turn of events. Mm -hmm. And how something of such superficial quality, untested by any long-term study, could have been so popularized and brought to a kind of a, a you know, a peak moment in psychology today, that great bastion of academics, right? <laughs> I, I do not know, but I can tell you right now, uh, it, it's very, very unfortunate that it did. Mm -hmm. And um, we right. uh, can see the damage it did to a lot of religious orders and wow. even to a lot of very well-meaning, educated people in the Catholic Church. Right. I remember Father Benedict talking about uh, this uh, as a psychologist, talking about the last yeah. thing we want to be is as human as we can be. The whole idea is we need <laughs> God <laughs> to make us into who we should be, not who we are. Mora, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I love it. Great right. turn of phrase. Right, Typical exactly. Typical Father Groeschel, right. love the guy. The other thing with, with Carl Rogers and his ilk, I remember outcome-based education was one of the things that got promoted uh, yeah. out of that kind of, and we're kind of dealing with that a little bit in this move from equality to equity. We keep hearing about equity now. What's the difference yeah. between equality and equity? Well, equality is strict uh, equality, uh, you know, across the, the scale. And the problem with equality in, in itself is people are not actually equal in characteristics, mm. right? So, you know, um, uh, so, you know, some people, frankly, do have more intelligence than other people. Some people have more athletic ability than other people. In fact, that's 99% of people have more athletic ability than me. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, we just have to acknowledge that there are these differences. The, the, the other thing with equality is, you know, you, you cannot in the marketplace uh, you know, have a, a strict notion of equality. For example, you can't say equal uh, amount of um, uh, pay um, for certain kinds of services where, you know, one person can do one widget in an hour and another person can do 20 widgets in an hour. You have a right 
uh, to say, I'd rather have the person who does 20 widgets in an hour because uh, you know that's I'm building my business around this so what equity though really is about is fairness mm. at the end of the day because what equity tries to look at is the various factors so all things being equal uh, we should probably be giving equal pay to people mm -hmm. but we don't have to bring in people who can't do things in one area very well though they may do uh, things in another area m much better right mm -hmm. we, we, we should obviously use common sense judgments in these but you don't want to take again equity uh, to the point where equity means the restoration of every single harm that has been done in remote history mm -hmm. you, you can't do that because uh, you know basically we don't have enough resources to do that to begin with we do have to give opportunity to people who have been deprived mm -hmm. of opportunity in the past absolutely we should try and give a leg up to people who have been given a leg down in the past of course we have to try and provide those forms of equity but the idea of giving giving a kind of um, you know um, you know compensatory um, you know uh, justice that is to say to compensate people for things that have been done wrong in the past how could uh, you know maybe a government can try and and do something but you'd have to tax a lot of people uh, so inordinately right. to get that done well, that it, it would just kill most people in the ordinary population. Well, we just have to ask for forgiveness for the sins of the past, yes. try to redress the injustices of the present, and you know we have to move on. Right. Um, Otherwise, can, you end up you know, with what you ended up in the socialist countries, where as the joke was, yeah. we pretend to work and they pretend to pay us. So you know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly what happened, and and um, uh, I, I, I forget who coined that phrase, mm -hmm. uh, but it was it's a great phrase that uh, more or less says what happens because at this point all that matters is that we feign respect, right. but that we're not going to do anything real or material. Uh, to, to give an advantage. Right. You know, I just love those signs when I used to go uh, into East Berlin when I was a kid, you know, mm -hmm. I, um, you know, we went to e go to East uh, Berlin for a day, you know, and you get those big huge signs with the workers paradise right, right, right. with all these smiling workers on there. But then when you got to East Berlin, you didn't see anybody smiling. Right. All you saw were the number of police that were on the streets and people just so fearful to do anything. You know, and of course I'd get there and I, you know, I'd want to buy all these papers like Freiwelt, you know, a free world and so forth mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, East Berlin was anything but a free world. Right. Everything was turned upside down on its head. Uh, and so just as long as you said the right thing, right. regardless of whether the right thing was being done. It didn't matter. Right. I mean, it was all one big, huge chunk of propaganda. Right. And, and that's what you're going to do if you keep insisting on these things that just can't be done. Right. If, you know, let's do the, uh, rectify the injustices we can rectify. Right. Let's do that. Let's give it advantage. Let's acknowledge, you know, and, and, and move beyond, you know, ask for forgiveness for what we need to ask for forgiveness yeah. for. But the idea of continuously, um, you know, trying to, to pay a compensation that you can, right. cannot pay, you're right. It's just right. going to turn into Freiwild, 
you know, and the Jungfeld, right. you know, the, the Well, you end you up know, with, uh, young I, world. whether it's Auschwitz or Dachau, I forget which was the one that had over the gate, you know. Arbeitsmachtfrei, yeah. Work will make you free or something along those yeah, lines, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah right. Arbeitsmachtfrei, yeah. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so. exactly. There's always that freedom comes out in the end. Right. Which is always uh, anti-freedom. Yeah, well, the and, freedom uh, is, is that you're no longer on this earth. That's the only freedom yeah, you got that's in right. those places. That's right. <laughs> when they were yeah. putting you in the gas chamber. So uh, right. it's interesting, too, because uh, there's an article here from uh, EW10. I think it's CNA. Uh, and uh, Hannah Brockhaus, who works for us, I know, in, in Rome, mm -hmm. talked about the fact that our pope recently, a couple of uh, last week, talked about the, uh, the idea of fighting the temptation of activism with time for reflection and contemplation, which you were just talking about the other day, um, mm -hmm. you know, th that idea that we need more time for reflection and contemplation and that we have to be concerned about this kind of activism. And, and you know, it's interesting, too, because on one level we get a lot of certainly from a social justice perspective, all these things we're supposed to be doing. But how do we, how do we protect ourselves from moving from having the right approach to reaching out and doing uh, those charitable things and not getting caught up in activism? Well, I mean, that's, that is the question. I mean, uh, I agree uh, totally uh, with the Pope that if we don't put some contemplative uh, time into our lives, we can't go very deep. So, I mean, if, you know, five minutes will get you zero depth. It could get you some breadth, but it'll get you zero depth. Uh, even, you know, a half an hour will just get you so much depth. If we're really going to get into deeper issues, if we're really going to get into, you know, what, it doesn't matter whether the deeper issue concerns, you know, freedom or concerns culture or concerns metaphysics or concerns God mm -hmm. or concerns who we are, you know, and, the, and our moral conversion. I mean, if you're going to get any depth on moral conversion, if you're going to get any depth on spiritual conversion relationship with God, if you're going to build up a capacity to be more charitable in the future, if you're going to think about metaphysics and, you know, a profound level, if you're going to actually go into uh, whatever academic discipline you want to go into, you're going to need contemplative time. You just can't be, you know, blasting and blasting and blasting uh, away at it. All you can get is breath. And, you know, lots of people can understand facts, but very, very few people can get immense depth very quickly, and especially the depth of the heart. No way, especially depth of relationships, you got to spend time. So how to do that, it's a real question. For me, it's always been a discipline. Mm -hmm. I just put aside time for prayer. I put aside time to work with people uh, in my relationship with them. I put aside time, you know, to do things where, um, you know, uh, it, it, you know uh, it would be more contemplative or at least more uh, spending time that's not going to get a specific function done. Mm -hmm. There was a real genius by the name of Josef Pieper who came right. out with mm -hmm. a book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. A long, long time ago, used to use it in my philosophy classes at Georgetown. It's a very good book because in that book, you know, he describes the difference between intellectus on the one hand, which, uh, you know, really is uh, contemplation, and, and, and so forth, you know, and, and what we might call um, science, you know, the uh, ratio in Latin, but it really it comes down to science or logic. 
And, and science and logic is one way of thinking, but that contemplation of the heart, which, you know, Pieper's trying to describe, which get, gets us into depth uh, when we're talking about goodness, depth of love, and depth of truth, that kind of deep contemplation that gets us into the depth of prayer and the depth of relationship with God that leads to depth of relationship with others, that's a very different thing from logical functioning. I mean, I like logical functioning as much as anybody. Mm -hmm. I like math as much as anybody. But at the same time, it's not the heart. It's not intellectus. It's not contemplatio. Contemplatio is what we kind of absorb when we're, we open ourselves up to the divine reality in prayer, in scripture reading, or in metaphysics, or whatever it may be. We open ourselves up uh, to a reality that's deeper, and that's where you know Plato's trying to describe this, and he gets he gets into the cave, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, the the guy, you know, he's he's sitting there looking uh, at the uh, the uh, the uh, shadows, shadows on, going shadows by on the wall, on the right, wall yeah, of the right, cave, right, right. and as he's looking at those shadows, he's got everything memorized: the shapes of the shadows, the time, the frequency of the shadows, and so forth. But one day, he unshackles himself from what we'll call ratio, uh, from, you know, uh, uh, you know get this kind of knowledge that might be called episteme in Greek. And he turns around, he, he moves to a whole other knowledge, uh, con contemplative knowledge, a kind of a metaphysical knowledge, a kind of an awareness of perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and being, right? This idea of opening ourselves to a reality that's beyond ourselves that kind of comes to us rather than us working our way to, to it mm -hmm. by assembling all the premises in a logical argument toward a conclusion with correct logic. So in, in other words, uh, Pieper talks about that, you know, focusing on beauty and focusing on truth and goodness and love, uh, you know, so that we can actually approach, um, you know, a kind of wisdom that we could never get on our own. We could never get from science. And let, let's just call that noose, uh, as it were, as distinct from episteme. Intellectus as distinguished from ratio. Mm -hmm. There is what Pieper said a long time ago. Contemporary culture is losing this. Mm -hmm. And if they lose this, they're going to lose their heart. And if they lose, if we lose our, our collective heart, we are going to be very wicked, not very good. We're going to be very unloving, mm. not very loving. We're going to be very much falsity seekers for our own benefit, not truth seekers for the common good. And so he's worried that we are losing our collective hearts or collective soul, mm -hmm. however you want to put it, this openness uh, that God has given us to, the, to perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home through contemplative action, through uh, contemplative reflection. And he says, boy, uh, it's going to be a, a world you don't want to see. Again, we get back to it, depression, anxiety, suicides. He even predicts it. The guy's prescient, absolutely prescient. 
and more and more with this you know push 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 world of social media and so mm -hmm. forth and so on we see the depression rate skyrocketing we see the anxiety rate skyrocketing we don't know what the good is anymore we don't follow our conscience anymore sometimes when we're just following our feelings we think we're doing good yet our depression level is going up we feel completely unmoored and we feel completely anxious and we feel meaninglessness on a pro very very profound level the absolute level of meaninglessness and this is what gives rise to our emptiness and our alienation and our loneliness so it's really a difficult difficult world but it's all there mm. it's a thin book too it's like an essay that's called leisure the basis of culture by mm. a fellow named Joseph Pieper but it's spelled with a J Joseph Pieper p-i-e-p-e-r wow. buy that book it's still out I think in a Omega mentor paperbacks maybe and just uh, buy that book and T just read it. it in two nights you'll get more from that hmm. than of course and you'll debunk Carl Rogers instantly uh, with, with that <laughs> honestly okay. honestly okay and I think uh, I think uh, our producers letting us know uh, much to the chagrin of religious <laughs> catalog that it's only available on Amazon we're not carrying it on catalog but so but it's important oh, okay. that people get this information so they can check that out the other thing that was striking me while you were talking about the cave I'm thinking of the, the kind of the modern image instead of you know of the person sitting at home shackled to their computer with virtual reality yeah. goggles on yeah. staring at That's the wall the new shadows. you know what I mean mm -hmm. right yeah exactly those are the new shadows, shadows on the wall of the cave right exactly. yeah right absolutely yep it's sure not the reality of God it's not the reality and mystery of another uniquely good and lovable transcendent human being it's not certainly the transcendentals of perfect right. truth love goodness beauty and home all I can tell you is uh, you know what you're seeing on the computer uh, it you know you got a lot of breadth don't get a lot of depth got a lot of mind don't get a lot of heart and most right. of the mind is not really there you it's mostly images it's mm -hmm. you get a lot of you know visual image and imagination but you don't get deep conceptualization and understanding so it's uh, it's pretty much a non-platonic world out there mm -hmm. it's a definite shadow world uh, mm -hmm. in virtual reality it's a great analogy though Doug right. I think it's a the, the step beyond off of Pieper's book Right. Okay, next up, we've got some questions that people wrote to us before we okay. take our break in the next couple of minutes. Uh, here's a person mm -hmm. writes to us, Dear Father Spencer, perhaps I misunderstood, but I think you said on a recent show we should not hate Satan. Why not? Didn't God create hell for him and his fallen angels who foolishly followed him? With all the souls he has dragged into eternal death, shouldn't we hate him? Tom. Well, in, in a way, Tom, what I meant is we shouldn't hate anybody, right, but right. frankly, uh, you know, I, I, I do despise Satan, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what I meant to say. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at, at the same time, I'm not out there advocating, you know, go hate people, but I despise Satan for Satan's hating all of us. Mm -hmm. I despise Satan for Satan corrupting all of us. I despise Satan for him trying to undermine everything that God does. And so, uh, but uh, do I think that God actually hates him? I think God would love it if Satan would turn around, but he won't. And so uh, um, there it is. Right. Um, I don't know what God feels, but I, I have trouble attributing any kind of hatred to God. Right. But I'm sure he is going to stop Satan at every turn so long as he respects our free will. Right, because he loves us. So uh, Because he loves us. us right? so. Yeah. 
Next question. Dear Father Spitzer, one of your recent shows, you indicated science needs empirical data to prove something. When the question of the existence of God arises, isn't the empirical data or data uh, Jesus Christ? This is from James. Well, James, uh, that's not, I mean, you could say that. The trouble is it's very hard empirically to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and so lots of people have said, well, what about his resurrection and glory? That's an indication, but that's not a proof uh, of God, right? You're going to have to find that from ultimately Jesus gives us all those signs of his resurrection. But God's not going to give you... Um, you know, uh, uh, what I would call the proof. And what I was trying to say there is God doesn't want to enslave you to perfect certitude. He's always going to give you a way out. So you can say, well, when I look at Jesus's miracles by his own authority, and when I look at Jesus's resurrection in glory, and when I look at the fact that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the power of God himself, the dunamis tutheu, and when I look at Jesus's preaching and I see his doctrine of love, I, I can only conclude that he is uh, God, he is divine. But I'm doing that in faith. I'm not doing that as the consequence of a syllogism. I can't add it all up, but what I can say is, in faith, when I see that and that and that and that and that, I think those are signs of the divine pointing right to the fact that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. But, of course, we're free. Mm -hmm. And so God's not going to give us something that'll be, the, you know, an irrefutable logical syllogism at the end of the day. We have to look at those things in faith. We have to be open to the message of Jesus Christ to see his divinity in it. We also have to, uh, you know, be open uh, to praying uh, uh, to him where we see that, in fact, his providence and his, his uh, interaction with mm -hmm. us in prayer is also uh, commensurate with the divine uh, that's in our lives and so forth. So all of these things uh, really can, you know, it's like, you know, the Catholic Church has always held that faith and reason are together, but you can't, you're not going to eliminate faith with reason, and you're not going to eliminate reason with faith. As John Paul II said, we need both. Right. So the idea, you know, for us is we want to, you know, Catholics will, we got this chasm, right, to get over from us to God, and you can build a big, huge part of the bridge with reason. You really can. I mean, I just think Jesus' resurrection and glory, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I think all of these things are... Well, very, we're going to have to uh, take a bridge uh, a little bit further than we wanted to because we've got to take a break over that chasm that you just created. Oh, and we'll be back in a moment, of course, with Father Spitzer. Let him finish his thought. Stay with us right here on Father Spitzer's Universe. We appreciate you staying with us here for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Wanted to mention a great book republished by EWTN by the late great father Andrew Apostoli, now available in our religious catalog. There it is, Answering the Questions of Jesus. This book came out. It's been overlooked. Don't overlook it again. Check it out through EWTN's religious catalog. It's a really good book by a really wonderful priest. Speaking of great priests, we have our own Father Spitzer with us here, and we got some more questions for you, Father. Oh, okay. Dear Father Spitzer, will you please explain the church's teaching 
on globalization and the new world order. A friend claims that it's wrong to be charitable to anyone outside of our own country because this is globalization. Another thinks that Putin is oh. a good man. Now, I'm assuming this letter is a little bit dated. Thinks that Putin is a good man who has every right to take over Ukraine because it is the quote-unquote elitists in our country who are trying to establish a new world order. I think this goes against the gospel. What do you think, Eileen? I think, Eileen, you are so correct, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, you just keep following your instincts because you are right on the, on the mark. First of all, globalization is just, it, it's, it's basically not an ethics or a theology or anything that the church would be against. Globalization is just what's going on in the global economy. So it refers to the fact and the state of multiple economies, right, that they were getting more progressively more integrated. And as technology becomes more and more available to people, right, through cell phones or through very cheap uh, smartphones and things of that nature, and, and you know, we're, we're, you know, international boundaries are, are now, you know, pretty much uh, being eliminated in, in so many different ways economically. Of course right, we right. have geopolitical, uh, you know, um, lines of influence, geopolitical boundaries where, you know, we have our own autonomy within our own country and things of that nature. But globalization really refers to an economic reality that, you know, your debt indebtedness affects the currency markets, the currency markets in turn affect all of us mm -hmm. and vice versa, right? So all of these things are happening, uh, uh, you know, that break down the economic boundaries that used to be, you know, so easily seen. I mean, tariffs today make no sense, mm -hmm. uh, you know, except, you know, maybe if you have a, an industry that's in danger, but tariffs generally don't do a lot of good unless you're reacting to somebody else's tariffs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the Chinese should sneakily uh, be putting tariffs on or sneakily preventing, um, you know, international access to their markets, et cetera, et cetera, well, then, you know, the U.S. comes along and says, well, we're going to do, uh, you know, uh, tariffs in, as well because you've done this, so we're doing this. And, right. and that happens all the time. But basically, globalization is really not something to be it's not an ethical or theological thing per se it's just a reality of what's going on in our fast-moving uh, economy where everybody's linked right. to everybody else on a much more sophisticated way which means we've got money transfers going on we've got technology transfers going on we've got all kinds of things going on and we have to take that into consideration your friend's second premise mm -hmm. that we should not be concerned about giving money to somebody else in another world this is anti-christian mm -hmm. this is just dead wrong this is whatever you do do not follow that advice the Lord would have us be generous to everybody mm -hmm. and especially to people in need and especially in the Ukraine where they are at war etc etc so yes of course right. you want to contribute to as many international charities and you know give to Catholic right. charities and give to uh, the various the Knights um, of Columbus you know, uh, are, are, are very Knights up front and we've been pr promoting uh, their efforts right Absolutely. So give to all those, uh, you know, refugee services, mm -hmm. everything, everything that you can. The third thing is Putin being a good person. Uh, I, I have to tell you, uh, this is like I'm scratching my head. 
What is so good about perpetrating on innocent civilians uh, a, a war that has absolutely no value that anyone can see except maybe some ego value and territorial, uh, you know, uh, encroachment, mm -hmm. you know, but at the cost uh, it's going to be thousands of civilian lives when the whole thing is over. I mean, it's thousands upon thousands of you know kids, and and you know you got even though you got three million people that already uh, gone over <coughs> to Poland and other places. But what's so good about that? What's so good about an aggressive war as causing pain and misery to people who don't even know what the war is about? I don't know what the right. war is about. I don't see what he's getting out of this war. I mean, it must be some a, a fantastic ego uh, achievement because I don't think the economic gain, you know, I, I, I mean, the territorial gain, what is the deal? I mean, and the injustice of it is just unbelievable. So right. I got to tell you, I'm not in favor of uh, uh, Mr. Putin there. Right. And I, I must say that I don't find his actions to be good. And I don't think they can be justified on any international scale and help out everybody who is resisting him. That's right. my thought. Absolutely. I'm, my guess is, without knowing anything, that I think he might have miscalculated a little bit. I think that's... Oh, I think this is going to be a protracted conflict. And I think uh, uh, he's going to be it for it. And his own people already see the injustice. Right. Uh, uh, last week I pointed out, you know, that reporter that... Right, absolutely. You know, held up the sign. Come out right. and absolutely. held up a sign. It's just going to keep happening. Right. They've already arrested something like 15,000 people right. for protesting for in protesting, the streets. protesting, right, right. Oh, yeah. So basically, this is going to, you know, uh, what was the reaction of, of the people who got arrested? Keep protesting, everyone. They can't throw us all into jail. Yeah, right. The KGB will never reign supreme again. He's going to undermine himself. He's going to alienate himself from his people. He already has certainly alienated the entire world community. Right. His economy isn't going to uh, recover from this for you know a, a very long time. And this is going to be a protracted conflict. Right. And as you can probably see, he miscalculated. But he miscalculated in his aggressivity. He miscalculated right. in his anti-humanitarian and almost barbarian. No, not almost. Barbarian behavior toward the civilian population. He right. miscalculated the sentiment of the world and even the world conscience right. that just says this stuff comes from a bygone age. You are basically trying to resurrect some of humanity's worst disasters. Yeah. Barbarians. So, really. anyway, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another question, dear Father Spitzer. I was taught that there were three types of baptism baptism of desire, baptism mm -hmm. of blood, and baptism of water. Mm -hmm. In the case where the priests, recent, they're talking about a recent case, used the wrong words of baptism, why would the church not accept their desire and conclude they were validly baptized? This is Kay. Well, Kay, I mean, the church, uh, you know, you know uh, is saying, well, regularize your baptism if you can. Mm. That's what the, the church is saying. That's not to say that if the person died and didn't right. get his bapti baptism regularized, that's when baptism by desire actually occurs. Mm -hmm. But when you can actually get the sacrament in the re what we call the, the regular form mm -hmm. of the sacrament, that's what you should try to do. It's not to say that God will go, ah, ah, got you on a technicality. Sorry, you're going wherever. 
You know, the, the point, of course, is God's not going to do that. Baptism of desire would immediately kick in mm -hmm. um, if that were the case. And that's why the church taught baptism of desire. But it didn't want to regularize baptism by desire uh, in cases where uh, you, you didn't have to have baptism by desire uh, because of necessity. And therefore, yeah. all the church is saying is you can get the regular form go get regularized through the regular form and you should be great um, but of course if you died in the meantime baptism right, of desire it, of course would be sufficient because otherwise we're, we're we're in this world of kind of well god knows i really believe anyway fundamental, yeah, my fundamental yeah. whatever and suddenly <laughs> what is anything you have to actually do right all right right, right? absolutely it, it's the case one, one goes mm -hmm. one, a slippery slope to use an off use phrase yep Dear Father Spitzer, here's an interesting question. We've read where the church wants to be totally transparent with sexual abuse cases and we're encouraged to report any such abuse. Yeah. However, if a priest confesses to another priest in a sacramental confession, this abuse cannot be revealed to anyone and must be concealed. A priest can that be excommunicated if he discloses what has been said to him in sacramental confessions as dictated by canon law. This person writes, we need to rectify the situation. I'm sure Jesus first would want to protect individuals, especially a child. This is Kathy. Well, Kathy, um, that's not going to happen mm -hmm. because if you start uh, making exceptions for the right. seal of confession, you will not have the sacrament of confession very long because people will just talk about the slippery slope. People mm -hmm. are going to start saying what? Oh, well, today it's abuse victims, and then tomorrow it's bank robbery with this amount of cash, and the next time it's a person who commits a murder, right, and so forth and so on. So wait a minute here. What is the sacrament of reconciliation for? To get reconciliation, to turn your life around for God. So you can't abuse, right? This is a divine sacrament that's instituted for the purposes of the administration of divine mercy to those who are sincerely repentant. You cannot make even as noble a cause as getting a person who has, uh, you know, done a terrible injustice to a young one. Right? You even a purpose of that nobility, you cannot start uh, violating the seal of confession because if you do that, then people will not come to confession. Right, and right. if they don't come to confession, they won't avail themselves of God's mercy. And if they don't avail themselves of God's mercy through that great sacrament, we will not be doing the will of Christ. We will be doing our own will. So we have to, in some case, the whole idea of moral life, we have to, there's give and take. There are sacrifices that you have to make in order to to do the right thing by everyone. It was just like, uh, um, uh, what did we have in California a while back? I think it was abuse cases, mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't just uh, abuse cases in the case of priests. It was anybody who confessed um, uh, you know, abuse in the sacrament of confession. There was a bill going through our state legislature that basically said, so if it was a teacher who mm. confessed it, or whoever, a doctor, whatever, confessed the same thing, anybody, uh, then priests should have to uh, obey the, the law of the state instead of the law of God, and you should reveal it. And as I said on my program um, in, um, uh, on the radio uh, mm. several times, 
if we do this, we won't have a sacrament of reconciliation. In about one year, it'll all be over mm -hmm. because once the seal of confession has been legitimized as broken, right. then I think the, the end of the well, sacrament then, of reconciliation. Well, then those people so, who have those horrific crimes, they're not going to go and confess it. And at least in confessing yeah. it, they may have an opportunity to be counseled or to reveal something that well, would that's allow them right. to be the and open to some amount of grace to maybe report themselves yeah. or go for mm -hmm. help or something. Right. That's right. And a priest can actually say, uh, counsel them, you should really uh, admit this to somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to uh, start, you have to tell a religious superior, you, know, you can't say have to. Uh, right, you can't you can't give a person a penance that basically makes them turn themselves in. Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, you can do just about anything short of that, okay. and you can really make a very strong case to get counseling, or even a strong case to turn themselves in. Right. Uh, but you can't demand it. You can't require it uh, for absolution. Right. Okay. Very good. And hopefully, in the absolution, maybe that, that that'll provide some of the grace that's needed to to do the right thing. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Right. I, I really believe that's the case. Right. Let's talk about how the devil works on page 192 in uh, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. You talk about uh, this kind of three points you mention of, about the path to salvation. Trust, uh, participation in the church, and sincere attempts to make improvements. How did you come up with those three? Well, I think, you know, um, when you're uh, when you're really thinking about things, uh, I mean, you might put the the participation in the church first, but whatever the case is, we need divine help, right? The idea, you know, that we can um, sort of escape the influence of the evil spirit, that we can, you know, um, uh, go to, uh, you know, basically. Uh, uh, we're going to go it alone, if I can put it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, the, that idea is, is just a wrong idea. The first thing we absolutely have to do is trust in God, trust in His mercy, uh, and, and trust that He can lead us providentially and help us to defeat uh, Satan in our lives. That's the first thing that we really do have to do. That's basically called faith. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that kind of fundamental trust in God is faith. The second thing that we're going to have to do is start participating in the church. We need divine grace. I mean, as I was just saying, mm -hmm. the grace of the sacrament of reconciliation, the grace of the Eucharist, these graces are really incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And if we do receive regularly, we are transformed, mm -hmm. especially if when we receive the sacrament of reconciliation, or we really do have that firm purpose of amendment. When we receive the Holy Eucharist, we know we're receiving the Lord's body and blood into ourselves, that it was given to us out of love, that He is there giving us, uh, giving Himself to us once again in that sacrament for the, and uh, asking for transformation of our hearts in receiving that sacrament. If we do that, uh, we're going to be transformed individuals. And if we're transformed individuals, uh, I can tell you right now, um, it, we've got a much better fighting chance of, uh, of moving up against the devil effectively, mm -hmm. not just on our own behalf, but on others' behalf as well. So, I mean, again, you know, prayer is huge. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that's where the intimacy factor comes in. I, a good prayer life deepens a good sacramental life. 
And the good sacramental life is the foundation for a good prayer life. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's called reciprocal causality. Mm -hmm. But basically the, the, the sacramental life is the foundation. The prayer is the deepening. But the more we pray, the deeper then uh, the, our appreciation of the sacraments. We begin to see those sacraments in a much more mm -hmm. profound light, in a much more loving light, in a much more receptive and open light. But we see them, I mean, it can just overwhelm us, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And even in Eucharistic devotion, uh, I, I think Eucharistic devotion is very good because it combines both. But mm -hmm. the idea, you know, at the end of the day, the idea is both of those things give us such help that when we're up against Satan, so let's suppose we're trying to resist some temptation of, of some kind, then, you know, as we're trying to resist it, if we can actually just focus on the Lord or focus on Mary, uh, uh, something of that nature, and the love that we have for them and the regard that we have for them is growing and growing, stronger and stronger, right? As, mm -hmm. as we're, uh, um, you know, focusing on them, then we're bringing their whole presence into our lives in the moment when we're battling sin and battling Satan. Does it help? Absolutely. I'm the guy in the front of the line. Without this kind of presence of the Lord and presence of the Blessed Mother in my life to help me resist uh, Satan, that my regard for them, my love for them, you know, the, it would be uh, impossible for me to resist various sins. I just couldn't mm -hmm. do it. I've got the ego of the century, and boy, do I like to get it out there. You know, I really, oh, I do. And, you know, the only way of stopping it is, you know, the love of God that I sense and the love of Christ and, and the Blessed right. Mother that I sense. That's where I can stop the vanity and the pride right. and the well, pushiness what a, and the What did Dale Carnegie say? What, what's, what's the oh. sweetest word in the world? My, anybody's name, right? Their name, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of their yeah. own name, right? So, yeah, exactly. Well, let me ask you, yeah. uh, just to move ahead on that point, you, you alluded to the idea of our Lord's action. You say that our role is not only in the dimension of the path of salvation, it is part of it, but that, that the Lord's is much more active than we are. How so? Yeah. The... Uh, the Lord plays a, a, a much more active life through the whole uh, active role through the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. who's moving uh, through us. And um, the whole idea of the discernment of spirits, right, is based on this: that we, you know, we just don't even know how much the Lord is protecting us. We don't know how much the Lord is guiding us. How much the Lord is inspiring us. Mm -hmm. How much the Lord is infusing our courage that we have our natural courage with supernatural courage to kind of resist, you know, things that, you know, especially when we see a wrongdoing or we see a teaching that's going to kill people and hurt people. We just need that supernatural courage to, 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 you know, go against the culture anymore, right? I mean, we just, there is so much pressure to follow the culture. And there's so much what I call cultural sanctimoniousness where the culture proclaims that they have the correct course of action for the um, emotional and spiritual health of the world, right? They've got, they've unlocked the secret, and it's not Jesus Christ. It's uh, Carl Rogers or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you now, 
every one of those times when you have to go up against that stuff, you're going to be the whipping boy, right? You're going to be the person that's, you know, going to be accused of, uh, you know, this is the kind of person who's destroying our planet, you know, and so forth right. and so on. You just, uh, moral courage is hard to come by. You need God to help you. You need the Holy Spirit to infuse your courage with supernatural courage. And if you do that, you will make a difference. You might be hated a lot uh, for saying what you're saying, but it's okay. You might be falsely accused of being a hater of others, but it's okay. Because if you make it, have some influence on just a few people to get them to the truth of Jesus Christ, better for you. Mm -hmm. You will have done a, a very good job of not letting someone go down the primrose path into depression, anxiety, separation right. from God, etc., etc. So anyway, that's the point. The Holy Spirit, he's like totally right. active, guardian right. angels, totally active. I mean, there's just, you. you it, once you begin to realize, oh my gosh, when I was 15, I did this and I did it multiple times. Mm -hmm. Are you How did I survive this? Well, God right. and your guardian angels out there 24-7, right. you know, and I have done right. some really exactly. stupid things um, over the course of time. I've done some real doozers, uh, you know, and, you know, I would have probably uh, crashed in a plane, probably mm -hmm. done a lot of other things. I think God was there uh, to help me, you mm -hmm. know, my cliff diving days. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just wondering how did I survive? But it's not just physical things. It's all the stupid things I did to others, the stupid mm -hmm. things I did going down wrong moral paths, all those things, I'm telling you, I look back on them now and I know how involved God was in my life. I just don't think I would be here right, right now had the spirit not been acting totally to turn me off the path or have a friend say, you know, you're going down right. a dumb path here, you know, or something like that. So uh, no perfect guy was I. Uh, like I said, ego was the name of my game, and um, I generally could have been very much caught up in it right. um, had it weren't not for uh, uh, God. And the church, I mean, oh, the church. Right. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the sacraments. Thank mm -hmm. God for those good priests who counseled me so well. Wow. Thank God for the wonderful priests who introduced the scriptures to me. You know, and I just thank God, thank God, thank God, uh, because um, where would I be were it not for him right Absolutely. in the arms of Satan? Well, you're an old movie buff, hated. and you'll remember the movie yeah. Angels with Dirty Faces. And, yeah. uh, and Pat O'Brien and James Cagney growing up together in Hell's Kitchen yeah. in New York. And yeah. they both got involved with uh, delinquency, but the one made it uh, over the fence and the other didn't. One went to reform school, the other one went to seminary. Yeah. And at the end he says, yeah. you know, here's to the guy who couldn't run as fast as I could, you know, in the sense yeah. of how their lives diverged because of what seemed yeah. like happenstance. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but it's, Oftentimes it is the grace of God, but mm -hmm. we, uh, the ultimate thing at the end is, do we take the grace of God when it is given to us, even at the last minute? Do we ask for it, do we take it, and do we run with it? And when you start getting into some really dopey, uh, I call them vanity habits, mm -hmm. or greed habits, or pride habits, 
you know, when you start getting into those things or just just letting your anger go wild, right, and things of that nature. If you just, right. you know, if you don't take the grace, God gives you, you know, those moments where he goes, just don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can just hear it echoing in mm -hmm. your head. And you Whether know, you like it or not just, at the time. Right? Yeah, that's right. You know what I hear God echoing in my head? I hear the producer telling me <laughs> we're out of time. And we need you to give us God. a blessing on the way out the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord who does work overtime on our behalf through his wonderful spirit, through the teaching of Jesus and through the teaching of the church and the sacraments of the church, may that wonderful Lord and God who works on our behalf be in your heart and mind so profoundly that you turn to him, accept his lead, accept his providence to keep you and to move you in the way of salvation and to help you help others toward that salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. We shall see you next time. And don't forget all about Father Spitzer's wonderful books and videos available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Next week, our show topic will be answering viewer questions. We've had quite a few emailed to us recently, so uh, if you got some additional ones, make sure you send them to us over the next week or so, and we'll we'll feature those. EWTN bookmark: What it means to be human: the case for the body in public bioethics. Really interesting book by O. Carter Sneed. Really, really interesting. Yeah, Check that out. And we've got uh, penitential liturgy celebrated by Pope Francis. The Pope will be consecrating Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary during this liturgy, Friday, March 25th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EW10, Holy Mass and Rosary on the anniversary of Mother Angelica's passing, believe it or not, coming up Sunday, March 27th at 8 a.m. to honor Mother as well. And uh, you honor us each week by joining us here in Father Spitzer's Universe. We shall see you next time. Thank you.